to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Episode 58, Cats Don't Dance. It's big and loud. The Animation Addicts Podcast is brought to you by Amazon.com. Literally, from the microphones to the memory cards and video cameras, we bought it all on rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Amazon is great for electronics and electronic accessories. They offer very competitive prices as well as product reviews from real users. If you're looking for a gift for someone else or even for yourself, you can always find great buys any time of year. They have great deals on shipping and a gift registry as well. If you're looking to buy some new big kid toys, make sure to check it out on rotoscopers.com slash Amazon first before you buy anything. Because when you use this link, you're also helping out your favorite podcast. We're sending out a huge thank you to all of our loyal fans who have gone on and used rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. You're the best. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, and I'm here with my two amazing co-hosts, Chelsea Robson and Mason Smith. Hello. Hello. How's it going, everyone? Very enthusiastic, Chelsea. Hey, <laughs> we are talking about Cats Don't Dance tonight. Cats Don't Dance. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, this, this is our uh, first episode of the year. I love to Isn't it? So we're... Yeah, so we're starting 2014 off right with Cats Don't Dance. We and, uh, the big movies. That's what we cover here, folks. <laughs> the big one. Only the biggest hits made the most money. That's us. Honestly, I don't know why the Cats Don't Dance wasn't a bigger hit. We'll talk about why. Okay. Yeah, but one reason is it wasn't from a really big studio, I think. But we'll talk about that. So for those of you who are new to our show, our show is called the Animation Addicts Podcast. We are a podcast devoted to reviewing animated films, past and present, big or small. In this case, a little bit smaller. And it's just us. We're three friends. And we just sit down and we talk about the movies we love. And we take one movie each episode. And this week we have chosen Cats Don't Dance, the illustrious, famous Turner classic movie, kind of. <laughs> oh, which you can find for like 50 cents in your local video store. Let's get right into this, shall we? Let's go. You can do anything. This spring, Turner Feature Animation introduces you to some new characters you'll love in a story that could only happen in the movies. It's about a cat named Danny. He's got a dream. He's going to Hollywood. Hollywood, where the streets are paved with gold. And he's ready to dance his way to the top. So join Danny. I guess we're going to be the only two cats on the ark, huh? Sawyer. So much for preserving the species. Tilly. I hear you both are very, very big on Broadway. They're big everywhere, darling. Wooly. And Pudge. Uh-oh. I'm busted. Along with all of their incredibly hilarious and entertaining new friends. And... Darla Dimple. Child star extraordinaire. I am an angel. And her faithful assistant, Max. Max! Yes, Miss Dimple. But what Danny doesn't know is she's the only star who can keep all his dreams from coming true. I 
with new songs by Grammy Award winners Randy Newman and Natalie Cole. Nothing's gonna Nothing's going to stop audiences everywhere from enjoying a brand new world of animated fun, excitement, and adventure. See you in the movies. Cats don't dance. Please, you kind of speechless. Don't it? Yeah, so Cats Don't Dance was 1997. Mm-hmm. I always like to look up like other movies that came out in 1997 just to see like what certain movies were competing against, I guess you could say. And a lot of big movies came out in 1997 in the animation world. One of them was, uh, oh, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Ooh, big time. Forte, nice. I mean, hello. Um, let's see. Pooh's Grand Adventure, The Search for Christopher Robin. So that'd be the sequel to The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And that was an emotional roller coaster for me. Uh, let's see. Y'all, y'all already know that. Um, Anastasia, Princess Mononoke, and Hercules, more like Jercules, came out that same year. Oh, also the uh, Pixar short, uh, I always get this wrong, Gary or Jerry's Game. I know some Pixar fanatics are going to jump on me with staves and pitchforks about that. Jerry's Game, if you will. And so those are just a couple of the um, of the fellow animated films that came out that year. 2D animation had gone a, a long way by then. Mm-hmm. It really had. Because if you look at Anastasia, that type of 2D is pretty late in the whole era of 2D animation. And Cats Don't Dance is it's not the same style, but it's, it's, very, it's very advanced animation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I guess that'd be the first, first impression that I had watching the movie. Yeah, um, you were mentioning all those, those movies that came out in 1997, and it wasn't really like a jam-packed year. And Hercules, obviously, was expected to be a big hit for Disney. But, you know, when you're going through that list, I mean, half of those seem to be direct-to-video sequels. Not you know as... what? There were one, two, three, four, five movies that were musicals in that they had songs in them. Nice. Isn't that funny? How many animated films came out this last year, 2013, that had songs in them? We just had oh, this really? conversation how in the, in the 90s, Everyone was doing animated musicals. It was the thing. Since Disney did it, it was such a big hit. Everyone was doing it. But then when the 2000s rolled along, um, they weren't as successful. And then the studios kind of realized they could just get away with fart jokes and crude humor. And so away went the musical. And really, there was only, what, one last year that came out that was a bona fide musical? Yeah. And do you think the trend is going to be reversed now that Frozen was such a massive success? Do you think other studios are going to hop onto that formula? Well, I think there were a lot of things that contributed to Frozen's success. I mean, it was things that had always worked for Disney, which were princess, fairy tales, musical, the fact that it was Disney in itself. But I would I would think that this would inspire studios to be a bit more musically inclined. Uh, We were talking that Mumbai Musical is expected to be a full fledged musical with about nine songs. Right. So I'm excited to see that because DreamWorks really hasn't done a musical in a while. They really haven't. Anyways, back to uh, Cast No Dance. Stay tuned to the end to hear more of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Cast Don't Dance um, is cool because uh, I think it's really cool and unique because it's a film about Hollywood. You know how all those came out, you know, when the movie started putting out sound and there were all these films about Hollywood in back in the golden era. And so this is kind of an animated take on that not culture, but on that like phenomenon of those, oh, like Sunset Boulevard, you know, movies like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like Danny should have done a crossover movie with Rockadoodle. 
That would have been, oh, be awesome. That, that would have been awesome. cool. What a duo, you know? Chickens don't sing and cats don't dance. Chickens don't sing and cats well, don't dance. Now in beautiful Technicolor. <laughs> you know? No, one thing I like about this movie is that, like, like you were saying, Mason, is that it completely plays off the early 1930s film stereotypes about someone going to Hollywood and making it big, but they just kind of do it in a, a fun with, animation way. With product endorsements. <laughs> oh, up the wazoo. I love the... Um, I love the intro at the beginning. At first, I was like, "What's going on? It's all rushed. Like this is kind of contrived." And then, it, and then it, it kind of turns into a spoof on itself because it talks about the princess dimples, you know, um, yeah. Darla dimples, and how um, she's this princess. And then it talks about kind of the darker side already with the product endorsements and how bratty she is. Another thing that I noticed is that this is uh, Warner Brothers, you know, with the da 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 at the beginning, and I don't I don't think we've done many WB shows. Well, technically, it is the first and only film from Turner Feature Animation. I think after this one, this was the one and only film, and then afterwards it was absorbed by Warner Brothers, much like an Oddish absorbs the water from a Squirtle. Exactly. Yes, Warner Brothers did distribute it. But yeah, um, Ted Turner, he sold all his properties and, and you know, they it's so sad for this poor little studio. You know, you're I'm starting a new studio. It's going to be awesome. I'm sure all these animators were pumped. You know, we're going to be big. We're going to make it big time. And then <laughs> womp, womp. see you later. I mean, they didn't like close down. They just sort of like moved into the Warner Brothers animation, but still kind of kind of hilarious. Hey. Maybe Danny the cat could give them some advice on where to go now, you know, now that that they were all out of work. Make it big by Friday. I love, seriously, this movie was so funny. My my favorite part is that it did play a lot on itself. It was a spoof on itself. The puns, the pun master, he returns again. Like Jafar? Jafar, yeah, (laughs) Jafar. The whole time I'm thinking Jafar would love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's really clever dialogue and it's a really clever script. It goes really fast. If you don't know anything about Hollywood culture or if you don't know anything about this type of story, then you're going to be lost because the dialogue goes really quick, mm-hmm. you know, Warner Brothers style. Because like the first 30 minutes, it plays just like this Hollywood film where it's a bunch of fast talking showbiz people. It was hard to keep up for me, you know, me being a, a country boy. But um, I don't know. It was really refreshing to watch a WB animated film just because they're so good at doing parodies of Hollywood and showbiz, you yeah. know. All the caricatures and all the uh, cameos of stars in this film. felt very Looney Tunes, kind of the style of the animation um, and how over the top it was at certain points. It really was. Can you say squash and stretch with old uh, Danny and uh, and Darla? Squash and stretch. (laughs) I can say it too. Squash and stretch. We animators just call it squetch and you can quote me on that. (laughs) That's a joke that I made up at BYU and I don't know if it's carried. Anyway... (laughs) So you were talking about first thoughts and my first impressions of this movie. We inherited this movie VHS style and looking at the cover completely turned off by it. I mean, there is nothing about the way this cover is or this film is merchandised that is appealing to me, not knowing anything about it. So when we said, hey, you know, we're going to watch this, even though we had fans who were talking this movie up and requesting it, I still based on that initial cover judging the movie by its cover, I was not really that excited. And that, like, to me, really goes to show the importance of just really good merchandising. Because oh, if yeah. your your cover looks like a cheap animated sequel, people are going to think it's a cheap animated sequel. 
and they won't buy that's it. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, thought for the longest time. I had never like, heard of it. Cats don't dance. Boo. <laughs> Mommy, don't. Mom, don't rent that one. <laughs> yes. But, uh, we've actually had some pretty passionate listeners like talk about how much they love this film. And uh, I'm glad we gave it a shot because it was really, really cool. I enjoyed it. So um, I was looking up some things about Cats Don't Dance online. And mm. uh, the I was I was like, there has to be a Cats Don't Dance Wikia because there's a Wikia for everything. So, of course, I Googled it and there is. And lo and behold, <laughs> people are still active on this Wikia. Two days ago, someone went and, you know, made a bunch of edits to all the pages. So I'm like, those Cats Don't Dance fans, CDD, they're obsessed passionate Thank you for your dedication yes yes <laughs> so the film was directed by mark dindle and i guess we should talk about the history of this movie it it didn't perform very well um when it was released it was sort of during this weird era of the film of the studios going away and it was there was a lack of promotion and merchandising it, it there were only like two or so products um, released about this movie and one promotion with Subway for a toy line. I mean, no one knew about this movie. And so as a director, you have to be very disappointed when a studio is backing you and supporting you and going to be you know, allowing you to produce a movie and you put your heart and soul into it and then they just don't follow through. Um, we've seen that happen to lots of movies, particularly The Iron Giant with Brad Bird. And so he was always really bummed, but this turned, this ended up being like a springboard for his career because he went on to direct Emperor's New Groove and Chicken Little for Disney. Um, but his whereabouts are unknown since 2005. I've tried Googling him. I've tried to see where he, where he went. Maybe he was working on other projects, but I don't know, maybe he retired, but if someone knows what happened to him, I'm always very intrigued when their IMDb resume just stops after a certain point. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, when you stop after movies like Chicken Little or The Black Cauldron, <laughs> yeah, you're not really surprised yeah. when it ends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Emperor's New Groove, like, that was awesome. That was a good one. Oh, wait a second. Was this the same guy who, who did Kingdom of the Sun before it turned into Emperor's New Groove? I don't know. Because if that was the case, then I would understand why. Let me Google well, real I, quick. Google that. Well, uh, the Emperor's New Groove was altered significantly over six years of development from its original concept, and it would have been directed by Mark Dindle and Roger Allers. So he, he was on it initially, and he was the only one who stayed on, and he ended up being the sole director on Emperor's New Groove, but Roger Allers did not. Ooh. Well, what do you know? Yeah, so that's what happened. Tell me. Man. Okay, so you remember watching the sweat box? Okay, oh, the sweat sorry. box. He talks about how basically it talks about the story of the Emperor's New Groove, which was Kingdom of the Sun. And just right after that, Roger Aller, like it shows time, moments of him just kind of like sulking in the back after they took him off the project. And as they moved on and tried to change everything, because it was just so different from what we see today. And like it had Sting involved so much into the building of the story and everything. And <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was going to be an epic, but then it just didn't work. But how does that affect Mark? Who stayed it doesn't on really Emperor's New Crew. I don't know. It doesn't really affect him, <laughs> but it helps. The other <laughs> We're just thinking out loud, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mark made it. Uh, he survived <laughs> and That's then stayed at the studio for another one. So, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. He's probably in Tahiti. He's got a timeshare there. <laughs> uh, if only. Um, a little Lightning McQueen for you. Okay, okay. So there's a lack of promotion and merchandising. I can understand that. Going back to the animation, this is like some of the strongest animation I've seen. 
this Turner studio did an amazing job with their animation. They definitely took the 12 principles of animation, not to an extreme, but they really pushed the limit and made something like really cool and dynamic. The characters work together because they're all pretty much anthropomorphic animals, but they each have their own lives and distinct personalities that the type of animation done on them is different. Mm-hmm. For example, Sawyer, who is adorable, um, love her. Me too. Next to next to uh, Danny, there it's two completely different animation styles. Like Danny's all over the place. <laughs> he always has this gigantic Mickey Mouse grin, you know, and uh, you can't help but love him. Although he was the character. Uh, speaking of character appeal, one of the twelve principles of animation. I cared less about Danny than I cared about like Sawyer and the other barnyard gang. You know. Yeah, I didn't. I definitely cared more about Sawyer. This was a curious thing about the film because uh, Danny is definitely in the spotlight, no pun intended, because it's his dream. You know, he wants to, you know, he wants to make it big in Hollywood and we all want to root for him. But it's kind of like I kind of knew what would happen the whole time with Danny. But I was really worried about the washed up barnyard gang, the glamorous fish from (laughs) a long time ago. um, Don Knotts, who's the turtle. (laughs) Um, I love the turtle. Oh, he's cute. I I think he's like Toby's great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> hey, dad. You know what? You know who I think Sawyer is? I think Sawyer is Marie from the Aristocats, all grown up. Oh, my and, God. Uh, oh. And, and she learned how to walk. <laughs> and she like skipped universes to where animals and humans are, are working together. That's well, awesome. that kind of fits in. Isn't the Aristocats sort of in early 1900s I mean, and this is in 1939 I mean, <laughs> yeah i mean thomas o'malley filled marie's head with dreams of of singing with scat cat and performing with them and she tried hollywood herself and now she's just a a paper pusher you know she's just the script girl you know she does errands for the agent guy oh that totally works i like it Stay yeah. that. We, it's approved. forget the, forget the approved. pixar unified universe uh, <laughs> i've got a real good theory here <laughs> Sawyer from Cats Don't Dance, because we all know who she is, is actually Marie from the Aristocats, uh, all grown up and jaded <laughs> and, have, and giving and given up on love. <laughs> it's the tragic tale of one cat against the world. But anyway, I just really like this movie. I mean, there's so much cool stuff to talk about with the movie. So we talked about Sawyer and we talked about Danny. And I honestly, when I was first listening to this guy, I, I could have sworn it was Rob Paulson. Like, he sounded so much like him, but then I Googled it and it wasn't so unconfirmed Rob Paulson sighting in this movie. (laughs) Okay, so we'll talk about those two main characters. Let's just go scene by scene. Cool. Sounds good. So we start off and it's just kind of like, like Mason was saying, it really quickly goes into the action and introduces plots and, and even has like, you're introduced to a princess, even though there really is no princess in this movie. But, you know, there's kind of setting up very stereotypical plot devices that you would expect in an animated film, maybe around this time. Um, but then we can see Danny and we're kind of introduced to this world where cats, not cats, but animals, uh, anthropomorphic animals and humans, they coexist. And it's, it's very peaceful, except in Hollywood. Uh, we learn that in Hollywood, uh, it's sort of like in Wicked, where animals and humans coexist but then in a period in wicked they suppress the animals so they no longer can talk and really contribute to society and that's sort of how it is here separate but equal kind of yeah (laughs) you know they just they don't have speaking roles they just have their traditional animal roles and but uh, we're introduced to danny who's this this dreamer and uh, very motivated to go to hollywood and become a star like many 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 before him (laughs) 
Like yeah, many a kitty before him. So one really funny thing about this whole start off, like he he first off, he gets to Hollywood and just everything just starts up and so, so glitzy and glamour and just wide eyed. And oh, I'm here. It's just really funny. The whole scenario really kind of reminded me of my own moving to Nashville. Like, were, you, were you dancing through the streets? I, I actually kind of was at some points, yeah. Um, no, it was just really funny. Like, he goes into, his like, since I was a little kitten. <laughs> I was like, I can relate to this cat. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> um, through the whole thing, like, I've also, you know, my, I've also done a lot of, like, like, intro acting type things. And I've seen the actor's side of getting a gig and getting a, you know, a musical thing, but also uh, commercials and whatnot. And it's just so funny because one of my favorite quotes is when he actually gets into the to the office and he's the turtle is there and he's just like, there's no use, Miss Tilly. My fortune cookie says last night, give up, you loser. <laughs> I'm just like, I love these people. They're so hilarious. And then he pulls out. He's like, my schedule to stardom. He's like, yeah, I'll just do this, this and this. And I should land my big part by Friday. That's how you guys did it, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Why not Thursday? <laughs> Why not Thursday? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, there's so little lines that are just so good. I loved it. Love the dialogue in here. Yeah, well, you skipped over one part. He met the little ice penguin. Yeah, he's so cute. It reminds me of Chili Willy. Almost thought he was. (laughs) Yeah. Who's Chili Willy? Chili Willy from um, Hanna-Barbera. He's the little penguin. Yeah. Okay. And also thinking about it, he kind of reminds me of the penguins on Pebble and the Penguin, the like little kid penguins. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we need to do a nerdy caps discussion on animated penguins. We do. Because there's we so really many good do. ones. <laughs> Add it to the list. Next penguin movie. Yeah. And then the whole part where he's like signing his life away, basically like just sign here and here and here and here. And I'm like, yep, I've done that too. <laughs> can you can you play a cat i am a cat (laughs) perfect oh man um i do like it and of course while he's um celebrating his arrival at hollywood um there is one little kitty who is not appreciating his his joy and that is sawyer they really do not start off on on the right paw it reminds me of 101 dalmatians when um roger bumps into anita and you know sort of oh, that's right you know they have this horrible encounter but they end up liking each other and laughing but you know because he pushes sawyer into the fountain and she gets ticked well throughout the whole movie she does get ticked that whole first part she's Every little step, like he steals her cab and then he gets on her little trolley and ends up making it shake. And so she spills a tea all over her or coffee or whatever it was and then pushes her into the fountain. And so it's he's definitely not going to be her favorite person right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's really funny. And then she's forced to uh, she's forced to be in Noah's Ark number. You know, hey, you you and me were the only cats on the ark. Pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> oh, there goes our species. <laughs> I like it. First of all, I really like Sawyer. Well, I like Sawyer's character a lot. I like her voice. Very gravelly and... Very gravelly. Sultry. Like, kinda, sultry. Yeah. Very sultry. Yes, exactly. She's just like, I don't know, design-wise and animation-wise, she's completely different from Danny. Mm-hmm. And I like how they make that contrast. It's kind of one of those things where like your attitude or your like outlook on life can literally change your appearance 
or a countenance, if you use that <laughs> word a lot like we do. I kind of took that away from it, and I thought that was kind of a cool little little detail. Yeah, I like it. Well, then we introduced to uh, the little archangel herself, <laughs> oh. Darla Dimple. Who Darla Dimple is amazing. <laughs> clearly inspired by Shirley Dimple, in case you didn't know. Clearly. <laughs> clearly. Her character was actually, the name came from another child star from the 30s named Darla Hood. But her real inspiration, or the spoof or the parody, is clearly a mean version of Shirley Temple. Unless Shirley Temple really was a diva, I have no idea. No, she wasn't. She went on and worked for, like, United Nations or something like that. No diva can stand (laughs) in there. No. I don't know. Darla's no diva. She's a total monster. I haven't seen that many more outrageous villains in an animated film. <laughs> Just like the sheer dynamic range of her moods to her expressions to her movement. Like she was like masterfully animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, it, it's hard to animate a child. I don't know what it is about them, but I've always had a problem with them. And a lot of starting starting artists and animators have problems drawing children, but Whoever was the leader or whatever on Darla was was just a master. Like I just, she almost tops Isma as far as a villain that's like totally outrageous and dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how when she gets all crazy, her eye, her pupils get tiny, her fangs come out, and there's a lot of squash and stretch. But when she's nice, you know, she has her little gap in her teeth, and her eyes are all big, and her voice is totally angelic. And that's what's so ironic is that this movie is called Little Archangel, but in reality, when she's not acting, she's complete opposite of that. I mean, true devil. (laughs) She's so horrible. I hate animals, (laughs) especially that one. (laughs) Well, Danny, what an idiot. I mean, he thinks that he can meow, 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 meow. Like, no. Who are you? This is your first gig. Why does he think that he can get away by spicing things up, by uh, making it a little musical? It's like, no, you just say meow. You tell him, Morgan. <laughs> yeah, he's not All right, I'll let back. you find out the hard way. <laughs> While I was watching this, I was listening to Darla's singing voice, and I was like, she's actually, she has a really good singing voice, and I'm really impressed by it. And I go to look her up, and it's Lindsay Ridgway did her singing voice. Lindsay Ridgway was the little sister on Boy Meets World. <laughs> And nice. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Whoa. Corey's little sister. I was like, wow, that takes you back right there. <laughs> Go her. Go her. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he does this in- incredible outburst, basically. And I'm surprised they just didn't kick him off the set and get fired. Yeah. As a day performer, you're you pulled something like that and you're not getting a call back. So. Yeah, I was I was I met one of our writers, Myra, and we were talking. She does a lot of uh extra work in New York for different movies and TV shows and whatnot. And she was, she was saying kind of the life, like you're not supposed to look at the director or sometimes you'll even get in trouble for like looking in the direction of the actors, which is really weird. Um, but she's like, yeah, if you do things like that, like you ask for an autograph or whatever, like you will not get called back. So just don't do it. And yeah, it's true. Wow. <laughs> no, it's true. So then he, he goes home and he's just sort of like, He's just uh, still oblivious to the fact that he did something wrong. He's like, what do you mean? I just did the thing that I love. Like, no, it's not what you're hired to do. I love lots of things, but that's not what I'm paid to do. (laughs) Well, for one, I I love every time uh, Danny's mood goes back to hyper positive. 
it's like he's sad and then all of a sudden he's like aha you know and then his grin is like back this like giant ear to ear grin but anyway yeah so he's in one of his like low slumps like hey why and they're like oh you gotta go break it to her break it to him sawyer i think this is like the big point of the movie because the movie is all about about these animals being used for what the director needs but they're not doing what they want to do Mm -hmm. So it's like a theme of like being used by people in Hollywood, which is, you know, it's a huge theme. But I love the the conflict here where he's like, I was just, you know, doing my thing. I thought that they would like what I what I had to show them. And uh, Sawyer says they don't care. And those three words right there defined a huge theme in the movie, like one side of the conflict. And then uh, once Danny starts realizing that this like this is not the dream that he want that he thought up. You know, he says, all I want to do is what I love. Like when you're trying to make it big in any industry, for me, it's the animation industry because that's, I mean, that's what what this translated into. It's it's the conflict of do you do you do what, what you love versus being what a director or a boss needs? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, an innocence lost kind of thing. And you really see it in the other animals and I, and it's the big struggle for Danny. Do you think do you think that Danny's ambition was bad or good in the end? Do you think it do you think being ambitious in an environment like Hollywood or the creative industries do you think that's a downfall or do you think that can be a boon to someone? Well, you know, th- you say that and I I also what comes to my mind is you know, somebody is going out there and putting forth the effort to put it all together. They had the idea and they are being the producer, the like the creator, and they're putting up all of the risk for it. And unless you're the one putting up all the risk, you're just kind of helping. I take more of the route of for my project than I could I would do whatever I wanted, but it's not my project. I'm just here to help. So I, I guess that's where I come from on that part yeah i think his his ambition and drive helped him obviously get where he needed to at the end he just didn't know how to appropriately like use it uh which which hurt him and stifled all of them at yeah. some point because he hurt the whole animal acting industry for a while the whole animal kingdom it was embarrassing <laughs> came, came crashing down <laughs> You know, but but because of that, he brought it back and made it even more, better than it was. Um, right, because if it wasn't for Danny's ambition, he wouldn't have rushed the stage at the end and brought it all and and got the people to believe in the animal actors again. Yeah. You know, so I guess the way the, what I took away from it is that Danny's ambition was a bad thing and a good thing. But it was it was personally bad for him because he didn't have any business understanding of Hollywood. He hadn't been exposed to the ugly truth of, of <laughs> what that of what that business, that machine is. And so um, I to me, it's important to have ambition, although the word ambition in the animation world can sometimes be a bad thing. You never you never want someone to look at to critique your work and be like, uh, I don't know, this seems like a good idea, but it seems very ambitious because mm-hmm. you know that they have doubts if they say that. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think his amb- ambition was good. But as long as you understand your limits in the in the industry that you're trying to make it big in, which is why I'm getting a business minor. So I think it was a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Chelsea and Morgan, that you have to have an understanding of the environment or you're going to get your heart broken. And that's for anything, any job. Yeah. You have to be self-aware. <laughs> self-aware yeah. like Skynet. 
Well, not he is not. He's not going in there in a and it's all about me scenario. He's just very naive. Like he's just very innocent. But you know, there's some people that have ego. And there's difference there. Like you just, you never want to be the person with ego because then you come, you become Darla as opposed to, you know, Danny, who is just innocent and naive and just wants to do some, something cool. Mm -hmm. And I see gratitude as being a, a big part of something. Like I go through this and even later on, as we talk about when the elephant comes out and he's just like so much talent wasted, I'm just thinking, dude, you're known for something. How many people would kill to be known for something? <laughs> but And you had a, a standard job the entire time. You have a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Like So that's, I, I guess, I see stuff like that. I'm like, ah, don't do that. Be grateful. So Okay. Well, An attitude of gratitude. Exactly. Well, and, and Danny's really resilient because right after this, yeah. he just bounces back. And then bounces he gets back and... and- Gets a party going. Yeah, and what I love about this scene is it's it's not very subtle, but when they're normal, they're very saturated in their colors mm-hmm. or they're muted. But when they start dancing and sort of you know liven up a bit, they become like very vibrant and bright in their coloring. And so I think that was a kind of a really cool thing that they did that just to subtly or not so subtly show the audience like yeah something's missing here. And then when they stop dancing, it goes back and, and you notice it. You're like oh. Yeah, I loved the color in this. Oh, and one of the funniest moments of the film is when Max starts, when um, Darla looks over at Max and he's like kind of shaking his hips a little bit, a little bouncing his hips around. Max! (laughs) She gets all really angry at that point. You know, something really interesting, Mason, you mentioned earlier that he goes from a very sad place when, you know, he's being kicked out to a very, he just bounces back, right? Happy again. And I think that's one reason, like we never actually it's almost inhuman to bounce back so quickly. And I think that's one of the main reasons you don't ever really get an emotional connection with Danny. I wouldn't, I don't want to say he's too happy, but you don't really see that struggle within like Sawyer. You totally see the struggle. You totally see her struggle and it even goes deeper. Like it, you understand even more later on why she's the way she is. Yeah, I never thought about that, but I really do. I do care for Sawyer more than Danny. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Although Danny's cool, you know, he's like uh, he's like Dusty Crophopper, you know, but you know what's going to happen to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we know he's going to succeed. And so there's really nothing for us to root for. It's like, okay, well, (laughs) see where this is going. Yeah, but I do love the uh, I do love the scene where all the animals are kind of getting their groove on and, and the saturate and the color saturation. Really cool. I think some of these characters have parallels with Steven Spielberg. Just a little idea I had because, you know, how um, he kind of he got into contact with people by sneaking onto Hollywood lots. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And acting like uh, the towel boy or the wardrobe. guy. I, I don't know exactly how he did it, but he basically snuck onto the Hollywood lots and he pretended to be um, on the staff. And eventually they just thought he was <laughs> that's how he marry how me he, i know i really saw that in little penguin kid you know when he's like yeah this is just my side job this that's just my side job this is what i really want to do and he's like hey do you need any help you know and i was like oh it reminds me of little spielberg oh yeah in in dimple here's another part where danny's naivete proves to be a downfall is trusting darla when she invites him over 
you know, and she apologized. I love how she was, she was like, I was horrible. I was cruel. Uh, she goes inappropriately violent. <laughs> no, it was, I, it I wasn't, I was, dialogue. it's like, I'm sorry oh, for him. He Max? was Max. He was inappropriately violent. <laughs> I forgot about Max, who was the most like obvious paragon of brute, of brute villainy. He is literally a giant muscular triangle, which is uh, the classic basic shape for villains and bad guys in animation. Um, and I think he's awesome. His voice is like, is uh, it's got a hint of Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, you know? Yes, Miss Dimper. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's awesome. His entrance, like, you don't see him come in. You see the hole in the wall and then you see that he's already made his way into the studio. Uh-huh. Like, the blocking and the staging for that scene is just perfect. Like, how ominous. It's, it's like Jaws, how he makes his entrance. And I, I freaking love it. They're the perfect bronze and brains duo. Totally. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's what's interesting is that she has an animal for kind of a, a servant. I guess it's not interesting because that's her whole thing is having animals be subservient to humans, but she has a very strong relationship with him where he has to kind of turn against his kind and, and then eventually come an back. Animal, he, I, I thought he was a monkey. He looks like him. I thought he was a gorilla. Yeah. I, think he's, just like a, I think he's just a man with gorilla-like features. I don't know. Is he a gorilla? Let's Google. Well, you saw the difference. Well, he, he doesn't have fur because he saw that King Kong who was horribly horribly emasculated in, in this film it's the only thing i did, it's the only thing i didn't like how the emasculation of my childhood hero um, oh i guess it says max is the colossal manservant juggernaut of Darwin okay Dimple. so he's a, he's a colossus juggernaut okay, okay I, he's, a, he's a juggernaut i thought he was a gorilla <laughs> well he's he, he cle- he's clearly not the thinker in the duo yeah which would which would make sense how they characterized him there's nothing wrong with that. You you have to stereotype in animation to to get the point across. But anyway, um, so yeah, he looks like a monkey because he doesn't have he's not as smart as Darla. Oh yeah, and so that brings us back to inappropriately violent. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how that girl like enunciates her words. It's so it's like super cute, but at the same time, what she's saying is so sinister, and so you're like, Ugh. <laughs> and then I love how uh, when Darla wants to sing a song, she has a full Hollywood chorus line. And a very elaborate <laughs> set piece that just sprouts up from underneath her. And uh, I just like how she, what did she do with that one guy? She just like punches the guy off of the set or something like that. He just, yeah. she like kicks him off. And then at the end, she, uh, I love her line, leaves you kind of speechless, don't it? <laughs> well, no, it's even better. Like when he first walks in, she's like, want some animal crackers? <laughs> it's like, ew. Oh, animal crackers in my soup? Yeah, totally. no, it, but. I mean, it has that, but it's like you are feeding a cat animal crackers. She's like, biting off the heads, <laughs> like throwing them at him. Yeah, it's like it's so evil, man. Yeah, and so she she gets Danny to trust her, and little does he know. I thought he was just going to humiliate the animals, but I think I think she literally wanted to cause like some a little bit of genocide here because uh, <laughs> the song didn't. The song kind of alluded to this, but she I think she wants to drown them. You know, yeah, it was unclear to me as well what what her plan was. I thought it was it just like, like, oh, we're humili- gonna set him up and embarrass them, but it was no. Yeah, it she, was she, humiliate the cat. Jafar would have been proud. <laughs> humiliate the boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so um, 
I she has this is the part where Darla is really showing her her crazy side, and her dialogue is so priceless. Man the valve <laughs> now thunder. <laughs> I love how Max just knows exactly what to do at the at the exact moment because it's almost as if he's done evil plots with Darla before, and he's like, "Oh, okay, she wants the thunder. Here we go." You know, <laughs> he knows everything that she wants to do almost before she wants it. Totally, it's so funny. <laughs> They were Yzma and Krunk before Yzma. Hey, it he is. Was, he was the director, director. on Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, I was Hello. Just that. Wow, he uh, he's like this worked, and no one saw how well this dynamic worked. Except okay. she didn't feel sorry for for Max. Yeah, that's I true. I thought there was going to be the classic, you know, do my bidding, mindless scum, and he's like, no, Max is has feelings, <laughs> crush Darla. You know, I thought there was going to be something like that, but there wasn't. Speaking of he Max, stays, he stays loyal to her till the end. Speaking of Max um, and his voice, he was actually voiced by the director. It was by the just, director. Don't you a, love it when directors do that? It is. They had, had it as a scratch track, and then it just ended up working. <laughs> scratch tracks. So, okay, then her big plot doesn't work. It, it kind of does. Kind of Because it ruins them. It, it ruins them, and well, then there's, the, you know, there's the, the sad moment. They're all in the little diner, and then the little Tilly. Even Tilly. <laughs> Tilly's like, well, you know, there's always Broadway. <laughs> I heard pimples are good, are big on Broadway. Pimples are big everywhere. <laughs> you know, I love your Tilly voice, Chelsea. You know, you have some really surprisingly accurate impersonations sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <the keyword. laughs> well, uh, okay. Our my ratio of crazy animation voices to yours that I do that I'm not afraid to do is like totally imbalanced you need to open up and do more do more goofy voices because you have like really good ones your bar talk out bar talks my bar talk <laughs> i loved bar talk i love them too but tilly you just can't can't help but love because she's so super positive and like bubbly and um and even she gets angry at uh danny for you know for his mistake you know well he was just a he was just a cracker jack or i don't know what she calls him <laughs> yeah they're all turned against him and it's so sad because you do see that and like it's only Sawyer who's who she, you know, and this is where she comes in. And her singing voice is voiced by the very sultry Natalie Cole. Mm-hmm. And so she comes off and starts singing like, basically, I've got to believe in his dream. And like, honestly, the only real downfall of this movie is I couldn't sing you one of the songs mm-hmm. back yeah, at any yeah. point in time. I just know what the whole idea of the song was. And so in one way it worked because it totally got the idea across, but the melodies just aren't, just don't stick. I'm sorry. Not, not memorable at all. No, but like, I just know that in that part, Natalie Cole singing the song about how I need to believe in my man. I need to believe in his dream. And, and that's when she like goes after him, but then she misses him and, but it doesn't matter. Cause he's still, Gets a gusto, gusto again and comes back <laughs> after the, the bus driver's like totally knocking him. Oh, but you're doing the right thing. You know what's best. You're just going home. You're going back to where you come from. Back to, where is he from? Oh, Kokomo. Kokomo. <laughs> There's a place called Kokomo, Why Indiana. You- <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Danny gets this crazy. I'm surprised that the animals actually went to the premiere after being invited. But I think people like <laughs> Sawyer, I think some of the animals like Sawyer kind of knew what was up. I wouldn't have showed my face. Actually, I would have because I like to be obnoxious. But I, uh, <laughs> but it would have been hard for me. 
I don't know if anyone has listened to Darla's dialogue during the movie while it's playing in the background. She's so funny. Oh, it's so funny. Some of the dialogue is like, oh, no, it's a big, ugly, nasty rain cloud. <laughs> and it's like it's like exactly a Shirley Temple movie. Yeah. But I love stuff like that when they put something like super clever in the background that you have to like kind of list. It's like kind of subliminal because her dialogue also goes along with the action. Yeah. She talks about like a big ominous black rain cloud and Max is there about to tear Danny apart, you know? Yeah. And that whole fight scene totally reminded me of the Great Mouse Detective. Oh, the Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's gone. He's like in Paris by the end of the movie. <laughs> right. That was so funny. That, like... <laughs> that blimp had a lot of air in it. Because <laughs> you do realize going. you do realize it either crossed the Pacific from California <laughs> and across Asia, Eurasia, and Eastern Asia to find to get to Paris, or it crossed the entire United States and hit to Paris. Or third option, there was a time vortex involved and he just literally popped popped up into Paris. Well, you know what? Beauty and the Beast is in Paris, so that would not surprise me. If the Beast could travel spatially in the time vortex that we discussed in episode one of the podcast, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then 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 listen to the first episode. He might have ended up in Hollywood. I, he probably would have. The Beast could have really made it big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but anyway. Um, can I just say, I always reference episode one. When I tell somebody to go listen to my podcast, which when it comes up and I know that it's a safe ground to trot on. <laughs> um, oh, we had so much fun that first episode. That I tell was you, fantastic. But... but I always tell them to go back. Like I talked to this one guy. And he's like, you're really sending me to your first episode. You're that. Are you really OK with your first episode? I'm like, yes, that first episode was amazing. <laughs> We're the rotoscopers. We're always OK. <laughs> it's we true. are OK. We're okay. okay. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, and so um, Danny's very clever. He's like Darla, who loves uh, loves people and animals alike, <laughs> a lover of people and animals. Um, wanted you to see this. It's an all animals musical number, and uh, they're like, "Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 please, 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 sit down." And then um, Sawyer steals the show because she's she's also Natalie Cole, and so the people sit back down and they like it. Uh, meanwhile, Darla is trying to kill them using any heavy or sh and or sharp object possible. Oh, and I also like where she's like, <laughs> Max, <laughs> you know, and she starts realizing that he's not there. So she has to take matters into her hands. I like how the, every time the spotlight is on her and people are watching her, she like puts on her movie uh, star grin and then she's automatically back to being a deranged psychopath. <laughs> You know? she's such, and her eyes like start like squinting and like the whole red dot like pops up. Like, oh. oh my gosh. So good. So good. Her eyes are like twitching. She like accidentally twists the head off of her teddy bear. You know, one of <laughs> one of 15 that's in that booth with her. Yeah. Oh, another reference to Emperor's New Groove when he's like, let's take you back to the very beginning. And it goes to baby Cusco. Oh, and yeah. He, he breaks his toy and he starts crying. And then all of a sudden, like 10 people with the same toy offer it back to him. So true. And he's all happy again. Oh, look at me. I'm so cute. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. Do you think Mark. there's some do you think there's some director trademarks you know, that trickled down to Emperor's New Groove? That's what you do. You find something that works and you just recycle. Yeah, that's what Rob Zombie <laughs> does all the time. All the time. Secrets yeah. of the pros. Secrets of the pros. I want to go pro, Steven. But anyway, um, 
I I like this last scene. I think Darla really makes the movie for me. But I just like how all the animals are back in into their into the swing of things, and they give off an awesome musical number. Even uh, even Don Knotts' character, the turtle, you know, he doesn't have much to say, but now he's going to speak his mind, and it's it's awesome and expressive and cool. And even the little penguin, he has new electric powers. You know, he's an electric type Pokemon, electric and f- flying. Boy, that is unique. <laughs> Um, although Delibird couldn't talking about. well Delibird was the penguin Pokemon and he was a uh, flying type but he couldn't learn fly I don't think because he was a penguin oh that's sad yeah so little <laughs> little ice penguin kid he's like a trio type he's flying ice and electric but anyway it all comes crashing down on Darla because she like screams over the loudspeaker that they, she wished they all had drowned when she flooded the studio <laughs> yeah and it echoes, flooded the studio, flooded the studio, flooded the studio. <laughs> I was like, huh. That's funny. And then, like, everybody loves them, and they're, like, back in showbiz. It kind of ends from there. I, I do like I do like Sawyer kind of wrapping things up. She's like, okay, go to a premiere, check. Land a big role, check. Get the girl, check. <laughs> and I was like, did he even have that on the list? I don't even know if he did. Oh, she invented it. And he's just like, whoa, okay. Whoa, mommy. <laughs> you know, Money. gee whiz. <laughs> but that, that's cute. That's cute. I'm happy for him. It was cute. I just thought Sawyer was like the cutest character because she doesn't have big expressive hands like Danny. She just has little paws. Yeah. Little tiny paws. And that's kind of the end. And then I do like the parody movie I posters. I love that part. I, like my, I do believe my favorite one was the singing in the rain of both of them. I was like... That totally works. That's totally awesome. And then it goes into like grumpy old man. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> uh, awesome. Oh, they had a lot of fun with this. And I just... Bat- Batman and Robin. It's uh, it's Mr. Mammoth and uh, the kid. I want to yeah. say Deli Bird now. Take it. <laughs> those were all WB produced movies. I think those were. I think a little bit of trivia is that they wanted to do like some RKO stuff, like some sound of music, and they wanted to do like a Star Wars parody, but they had to pay for the rights to do that, and so they right. were like gonna do that <laughs> forget that i think it was really clever and they did it all without an r&b remix during not the true they what? did have an r&b remix what oh man i didn't i didn't go all the way through the credits oh no you did not boy it's very <laughs> prominent at the end and i thought i thought it was true too at the end and i was like wow no r&b remix but then nope here it comes. I think the only movie that year that didn't have an R&B remix was the was the Search for Christopher Robin. <laughs> unless I unless I'm mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that R&B remix. That remix. I mean. Well, all right. Let's rate it. Morgan, you go first. So I'm going to rate this movie four stars. I actually thought it was like we were talking about. It was just generally very pleasing and happy and I enjoyed myself watching it um it wasn't the best movie of all time but I would have no problem uh being invited to watch cats don't dance again Sawyer was my favorite character and I thought just the plot was very simple and straightforward uh which was was pretty nice but then I loved the character designs I loved the look of it and pretty disappointed that this didn't do better in in theaters and and that it's just so poorly merchandised shudder so yeah four stars what about you Chels Oh, man. You know, it was fun. I loved the WD slapstick influence. And the puns. The puns were so great. I'm so easy to forget. (laughs) They were so good. 
Oh, like there's one part where the fish was just like, and working for scale. <laughs> like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I loved her. She was a good, I, I, I really liked her. I liked her I better than the goat, her. better than the penguin kid. Yeah, you know? I loved her. <laughs> just because you, you know that kind of character. You've seen that before. Yeah, you love, you gotta love the sarcastic, not even sarcastic, but cynical type. That you're the just washed like, up uh, ex-glamour girl. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the music was fun, and I liked the jazzy touch to it all. I really did like all of that. But, yeah, unless you're Baloo the Bear, you know, it's hard to make a scat tune catchy. <laughs> I know. Habadoodie. But anyway. But, no, but there was one that I really liked. It was the big and loud. Oh, yeah, that one was good. I, I liked that one. But other than that, that's the only line of any of the songs that I even remember at all. Um, I loved the animation. And I, I loved how it totally downplayed the CGI effects. And that's mostly with all of the... There, like, there seemed like some CG, yeah, some CG rotoscoped vehicles. And then the yeah. blimp was 3D animated. Although right. it was pretty subtle at the end. Yeah, and I liked how they downplayed that, but then emphasized the colors. And I also loved the characters. They had a lot of fun with it. And I, I just liked the whole things. But if I could remember the songs more, I would have given it four stars like Morgan did. But as it is, I'm going to go with 3.5. I, I, I probably would have given it 3.75. But we normally don't do that. So I'm just going to go with 3.5. But it's still really good. And I would totally recommend this movie just to get a laugh. It was good. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoy the film. If you're passionate about 2D animation... Or, like, if you're a student of animation in general, then you need to see this movie. Um, I'm surprised I hadn't after all these years. But, again, uh, it was poorly marketed, and, and if you didn't know it, know about it from word of mouth, you would probably just pass it off as a little crappy direct-to-video movie. Some of the coolest 2D animation I've ever seen, and a couple of really good characters, although the only ones that I really, really liked were Darla and Sawyer. And the fish. Oh, the fish was great. So I'm going to give it three and a half stars also just because it didn't it didn't do well as a musical. But it was cool that they made an animated like a, a make you or break you Hollywood movie uh, type movie, you know, that that we're all pretty familiar with. But I, I think it's a really uh, cool animated film and I would definitely watch it again. But I would pretty much only watch it for Max, Darla, Sawyer and the Fish. Awesome. Let's move on into the mailbag. to our mailbag segment and last episode was our best of episode and we had so many emails that we went through and we loved reading them uh you can listen to those at rotoscopers.com slash 57 um but we still have a few more and so we're excited to read them so here we go let's go ah emails says hey rotoscopers some friends and i were debating something that seems like a great nerdy couch discussion for you and we would love to hear your thoughts I remember one animation filmmaker stating that writers will often create a character's backstory for their own sake. That, while it never makes into the film, providing a character with a history helps with the storytelling process. This may not be true for all studios, but it does make sense. For example, you take a look at some of the scenes with the character Fagin in Oliver and Company. From his clothing, he was clearly once a dock worker. Mr. Sykes' name is given 
Mr. Sykes' name is seen above the shipyard later in the movie. The further the story progresses, the more it feels like Fagin is indebted to his former boss in every way, including the very boat he vagrants. The more the audience looks into the details, the more story there seems to be told. Do you think it's common for such untold plot to be Easter eggs in an animated movie's visuals? Are these things in the eye of the beholder, or is there one true story? Thanks, Mike. Um, I think it's both, but I think, like... For example, I'm trying to remember where I heard this, but there was a man who was an animator. He was animating on the rescuers when he was animating Bernard. He was going through and then afterward, he he asked his supervisor or another animator what he thought about it and that what he thought about the guy who was just like, yeah, it's fine, which basically means that is the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) But ended up he's like, well. So we asked him, what did you think? Like, how do I improve there? And he said, well, what I would do is look at Bernard. He's working on the United Nations janitorial staff, but he's the type of guy that no matter where he was working, he was going to make that floor the spiffiest, the shiniest floor he's ever seen. And so as people are walking by, it's in little movements and in little little character clues that you can decipher not only who they are, but where they come from. And all of these backstories, I believe, are totally in the character development. You have to know who these characters are. So I'm going to say yes. I completely agree. I think the amount of detail and plot and thought that goes into making these movies goes above and beyond what the audience is meant to perceive at upon initial viewing. Uh, I think they do that on purpose. Like like Chelsea said, to make the character deeper, broader, just have a fuller persona about them rather than being very one dimensional. And by doing all those little things, I think the performance of the character is enhanced whether the audience knows it or not. But I think if those things were gone, then we would definitely miss them. I do remember reading on Twitter a couple of days ago, someone, someone tweeted a, a tweet about how when you're about to make a production like Frozen or even, or even interactive stuff like games, you spend a huge amount of time doing creative work at the beginning of production, and most of it is thrown away. What they're trying to say is that you do a lot of work to develop a character that oftentimes doesn't show up in the final product, but you need to have it there to have convincing, appealing characters. That's what I got away from it. So, uh, yeah, I have heard about how not only in animation, but in a lot of film, an actor or an actress or an art director or an animator will make up a intricate backstory for a character and then project that into the final product. That is the appearance and the style and the, the mannerisms of the character. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you lose time doing it, but you gain so much when the final product comes out. And so, yeah, I, I have like studied that, I guess, and I have, you know, learned about that. And I think it's, I think it's really cool as far as if it's common or not in animated film. I think you can tell who's been, who does it and who doesn't. You can tell a shallow character from a deep character. Totally. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Our next one is from Andrew Chi, and he says, I'm listening to your recent Tiny Toons podcast. Yay. If you guys are open to reviewing Warner Brothers animation, especially ones from the 90s, here are some more suggestions. One, 
Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. I know not everybody is a superhero fan, but of all the superhero animated movies, this is definitely the film to review. I would even say it's not even so much a superhero movie as it is a character melodrama film, comparatively to the way the live-action Dark Knight film can be viewed as a crime thriller suspense film rather than fitting the superhero genre. The movie especially delves deep into the psyche of Bruce Wayne and his internal conflicts, which I would say is great storytelling for its time, and the movie still holds up today. Even film critic Roger Ebert wrote this film off at first before realizing how good the film actually was. It really is a fantastic melodrama piece that also delves into the backstories of all the characters of the film. Also, Batman, the animated series, is particularly significant for its dark stories that were both accessible for kids and adults. Batman, the animated series, really did have some beautiful Art Deco-style backgrounds, great voice acting, and sleek modern character designs for its time. So of all the films on the list, I'd recommend this one especially. Two, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. This direct-to-video is a great follow-up to the Batman, the animated series, and Batman Beyond series. If you review this film, I'd recommend viewing Mask of the Phantasm before this one at least. You don't even have to view the original series in order to know what's going on. Although, you'll probably understand what's going on more quickly and get more out of it. Actually, when I was younger, my whole family watched it and enjoyed it, even though I was the Batman fanatic. All you have to know is it takes place in a futuristic Gotham setting where Batman has retired and has taken up a teenage prodigy to carry on the Batman mantle. I know, it sounds a little skeptical, but the intensity and storytelling in Batman Mask of the Phantasm is just as good as it is in here, especially when you get to the flashback. I'd also recommend Batman Under the Red Hood by Brandon Vietti and Wonder Woman, directed by Lauren Montgomery. You can tell that the filmmakers were really inspired by Batman the, the Animated Series and the 90s Disney films. So these are kind of the successors to the 90s animated films. Please consider, and good luck, Andrew Chi. Okay, Andrew, thank you so much for bringing up the Batman Animated Series. Um, I'm not much of a Batman Beyond fan, but I loved the 1990s uh, animated series. I, I've said it uh, several times on the show how much I love it. I really think it's it's very much like the Chris Nolan movies, but in cartoon form, in that it's super serious, very dark. The villains are out to kill, not just maim. And, um, you know, Art Deco style, you know, it's very Bioshock, very, um, very Metropolis, uh, if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, seeing as I'm the nerdy guy on the show... Maybe I should do some articles on the site, or maybe I should do some YouTube videos on those series. And heck, maybe I'll go on to Netflix and uh, watch some Batman Beyond. Although you did mention Return of the Joker, which I don't know if it's on Netflix. But I do remember seeing part of Return of the Joker. So yeah, um, thanks for mentioning the Batman animated series, because those are super cool. And I wish we would talk about it more on the show myself as well. Thanks, Andrew. You really like Batman. <laughs> He does like Batman. Who doesn't like Batman? Batman, the original series, was such a good cartoon. It really was. Um, I haven't seen it since I was younger, but I remember being very, very impressed with the storylines and the animation. Yeah, no, and I loved Batman Beyond. That was one of my favorite TV shows in my I get home from school and now I'm going to watch Batman Beyond days. Mm. Um, I'm a witness of this. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> was that Kids WB? It was Kids WB. Yeah, yeah. I was very much a Kids WB fan. I think I was. I think I was still watching Rugrats at that time, or or maybe barely getting into SpongeBob. Although Batman Beyond is before SpongeBob, 
Um, but yeah, I, I totally skipped over Kids WB as a kid. Uh, I don't know. I don't think my parents liked it, and so I, I didn't get to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it was Kids WB and the Disney Afternoon. Those were my, my go-to stops with gargoyles. Yeah. With gargoyles. It's <laughs> the only reason I stayed for gargoyles. Hey guys, I'm a big fan of your show and I wanted to share with you a project I'm working on. It's an alternate version of the Disney Renaissance and it has some wild differences. Please tell me what you think as I'm working hard on it and I would love some advice. Love y'all, Keenan. So this link that Keenan provides, it's basically on a website called alternatehistory.com and it's his version of what happened during the Disney Renaissance. Not necessarily, not necessarily changing the canon of the movies, but changing the actual history that happened. And so he breaks down, he starts with Beauty and the Beast and goes into Aladdin and says, okay, well, this is what happened. And this one actually won best feature and this one this and so it's very very cool i'll include the link in the show notes if you are a you know disney history nerd and you kind of like these alternate reality alternate endings then this is something to check out because it's really awesome our next one is from alex hatch and he says i just stumbled across this while listening to music from wicked and wondering what steven schwartz is up to these days turns out his newsletter has a ton of info about dreamworks upcoming mumbai musical movie coming out in 2015 he drops a lot about details of the movie about how he believes it will have eight to nine musical numbers and how the main characters are monkeys i hadn't heard much about this on here previously so i thought you guys might be interested in this here's the link and i just went to this website that he provides that we will also provide with you and i love stephen schwartz he is so amazing so um, Stephen Schwartz, in this email, he's talking about his exploratory trips to India, and he's researching more about Mumbai and India and the culture, I guess, so he could provide a better, more accurate depiction of the songs and the themes and sort of the way that their music is done. Um, really, really cool. We haven't really talked too much about Mumbai musical. It's kind of been... Uh, not so much in the forefront. Uh, it's supposed to come out, you know, sometime in 2015. Uh, there wasn't perhaps a name change at one point, but he is still on board. And uh, this this newsletter is actually from uh, summer 2012, uh, which is kind of a while ago. But we can confirm that he's still on, you know, doing the Mumbai musical because he actually, when we were talking to Steve Hickner, he mentioned how, you know, he just saw Steven Schwartz in the hall, you know, the other day. So he's still around. And I'm really excited for this because I think DreamWorks, when you think of musicals for animation, you definitely think of Disney first and foremost. You don't even think of Pixar because Pixar is not known for their musicals. But the only other studio is are the Don Bluth films. And then DreamWorks has done a few. Well, yeah, this is DreamWorks, too, but they're kind of going back to it. Yeah, because uh, they haven't really done musicals in a long time. You know, during the 90s, everybody was doing musicals. And then during the 2000s, it seems people realized, hey, we don't we don't need those. We can just do potty humor and it works. So right. <laughs> and especially because of Frozen's gotten so big this time, I'm sure everyone's like perking up once again, thinking uh, maybe we should go back. Question mark. <laughs> I would be all for it. You all know that. But whatever. <laughs> We also have a quick note from Mark, and he says, I just wanted to wish Happy New Year's to Morgan, Chelsea, Mason, and all the Rotoscope writers and workers. Happy 2014. Thanks, Mark. Woohoo! 2014 is going to be an amazing year for the website, for our community. We're going to do lots, lots of things to bring us together closer, to make it 
So everybody has a voice and everyone can participate and that the Rotoscopers is a place for animation addicts just like you, because we're all animation addicts here. And it turns out people who come and frequent the site, they're just as addicted as us and you listening right now. So yeah, stay tuned. Sure. And thanks, Mark. No, I'm really excited about the next, you know, this year, especially because, I mean, we look at how much the community has grown just in the last year. It's pretty phenomenal. And then just to think it's just going to keep going. So to continue our wonderful, super awesome mailbag from our wonderful, super awesome fans slash listeners, this one is from Joe T. He says, to whom it may concern, I just wanted to say thank you for that wonderful profile Gary Wright wrote about Elsa in Frozen. Thank you, Gary. I've seen the movie twice, and as a studying psychologist researching introverts, of which I identify with myself as, it makes me feel good that somebody recognizes how I felt about the character Elsa. I've been reading on the work of Susan Cain and Laurie Helgo, who have published books on introversion and how modern culture holds a bias against it. Seeing Elsa taking joy in her solitude and how much how most of her actions are nonverbal and reflective made me feel that Disney is finally embracing a positive role model for introverts. Sorry for all my gushing. I just wanted to mention how much I sympathized with a piece with the piece in regards to that aspect. I don't know if you guys have wrote a piece on similar characters like Norman from Paranorman, who might also fit the, fit the qualities that made Elsa such a relatable character. Good work, Joe T. P.S. I also have my own review ser- series where I look at animation. If you guys are interested, here's a link to my blip page. And we'll we'll have to add that to the show notes so you can check out Joe T's animation reviews. You know, I think that's really interesting. I consider myself both an extrovert and an introvert. I probably have multiple personality disorder, but uh, <laughs> um, but you know, at different times, uh, different times and different situations, I'm the same way. And so that's really cool. Yes, it, it's true that Elsa is an introvert, and I kind of knew that, but I didn't, I didn't get the significance of it. So thank you, Joe, for bringing that up. And um, we really do have awesome writers on our site. One of them is Gary Wright, who wrote that article. And um, we're we're glad that you're enjoying the site and the articles. And thanks for adding that insight into Elsa's character. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and sending us your emails. We love receiving them. Definitely make sure to send us some voicemails because we love those so much. They're fantastic. So just as we're ending today, we want to make sure that you know that if you have any questions, if you want information on the show notes, you can head on over to rotoscopers.com slash 58. Also, you can find us on Hypable and Animated Views. Subscribe to us on iTunes, also available on Stitcher Radio. If you love the show, please leave us feedback on iTunes. We totally appreciate it. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have another podcast started. Mason, did you know this? I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was actually just featured on the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. It is our very own animated inter- animation interviews podcast. So cool. That was probably the biggest thing that could have happened to my week. To really to be featured on the new and noteworthy site of iTunes was awesome. Yeah, we're really excited about this this new kind of show that we're doing. Um, it's as you can tell, it's going to be about interviews. I make a habit of listening to interviews uh, from animators and from uh, directors because I want to hear about their lives and I want to hear how they talk and I want to and I want to hear how they think. 
um, because I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of making it in the animation industry and, and having success like these people. And so if you feel the same way, then check out the podcast. They are very comfortable in length. Our hosts do a great job on the show, and um, we've interviewed some really cool people so far. Definitely. And thank you so much to all of you who have gone in and given us five-star ratings on iTunes. That was so nice. We got Brandon 6,000. 640,000. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> I know. That's a lot of thousands. It is. Vesicius 610, JP15, and Todgkins. You guys are the best. Thank you so much because that, that really helps us get noticed more in iTunes so that more people can join the community and be a part of the Animation Addicts. Phenomenon. We're moving forward. Exactly. If this is your first show, uh, first time listening to us, or if you're a new fan slash listener, then spread the word, you know, get on Twitter, retweet our episodes and, uh, you know, get on your social media outlets and get the word out about how awesome we are because we know we are. Um, but let other, <laughs> let other people know, um, <clears throat> another kind of promotion we're doing is we are looking for more likes on our Facebook page. As of the time we're recording this, uh, the Rotoscopers Facebook page has 1,960 likes. And you've seen this on Twitter. If we reach 2,000, then I will do a special video. Not of, if. When. Um, when we get these 2,000 likes. Thank you, Chelsea. I will do a special video on YouTube uh, of uh, me doing um, 100 impersonations uh, from animation. And uh, so if you like my crazy voices... Uh, on the show, and I know some of you do, then get ready for an overdose of it. Um, but we need, uh, we're going to stick to our, our, our deal, right? We need 2000 likes on the Facebook page. We need 40 more. Um, as of the recording, you know, by the time you hear this, there might be more, but yeah, tell your friends and, um, you know, hopefully I don't, we don't get sued for copyright infringement for characters, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that video. So yeah, we're excited about that. You can find us at our individual locations. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find Morgan at, Mor at Morgan Straddling. You can find myself at Chelsea Robson. And you can find Mason at Mason SMTX. San Marcos, Texas. Remember it. Woot woot. So, all right, guys. Thanks for joining us one more time. Until next time, we, we are, are the, the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers. Everybody say yay. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Why the long face? Hey, you must be talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was cute. Um, but anyway, for the first time in like... Forever? I don't know. Tw yeah, first time in forever. <laughs> um, just, just maybe a couple inches away from the microphone because you're almost peeking out the system there. Okay. Which, is, which is always a compliment. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> What heck, when we did Susical in uh, back to my showbiz days, when, you, when we did Susical in my senior, my I think my senior year in high school or junior year, I was Yertle the Turtle and I peeked out the sound system with a single note that I sung. Wow. Yeah. So that's that where the whole Susical comment came from. <laughs> yeah. If you hear something about Susical, then that's me. No, because remember, best of episode. Well, I think I talked about Susical in it. Yeah, I put that clip in there because I was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> you're like, when we did Susical, I'm like, what? Oh, that's right. When we did. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I, was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> okay, that's where that comes from. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I've been wondering for like the last six months. <laughs>
I can't remember any other. I mean, there's a Rockadoodle where it's all about um, Rockadoodle making it big in. Do they even say what city he's in? No, but it's supposed to be like in. It's supposed to be in like Nashville, Nashville or is it supposed to be in a big Indiana? He's making it big in Indiana. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, sorry, what are we talking Rock-a-doodle. about? Rockadoodle. What's this? Is oh, it supposed Rock- to be a fake Hollywood or a fake Nashville or a fake it's- Vegas? Fake Vegas, oh, okay. basically. Well, it's just the city. Yeah, because it has it has elements of Nashville and Hollywood because Rockadoodle does movies just like Elvis Presley did. Right. But it, it's had the same types of things of Vegas, like, you know, the where he's got the chicken, where he's like, oh, yeah. you know, the guitar. You, you know, you could always give up show business. Pinky! <laughs> Why would you ever want to leave? You get there fast and then you take it slow. That's where you want to go. Hey, I don't think I don't think any. I wonder how many of our listeners actually know that song. Oh God! Sorry, I was. I'm looking at the discussion board on IMDb, and uh, one of the topics is what the H E double hockey sticks is Max supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.